I'm going to go ahead and get started today, but I'm going to start a little bit differently than normal. I'm going to ask you to close your Bibles, if you will. Uh, we will be getting into the Word in just a moment, I promise you, and I know I usually start with us going to the Word, but I'd, I'd like to change pace and change direction this morning, if you'll allow me. Um, I, I want to begin this morning by telling you a, a story, and... Um, it's a story that when I first heard it was was quite upsetting to me, uh, but it's the story of two preachers, one of whom I know personally. And uh, out of respect for them, I, I like to refer to them as Minister A and Minister B. And so I don't misspeak. I've also written some things down. Um, for some background, uh, Minister A knew... He was called to ministry his entire life. He come from a long line of ministers. In fact, his dad had been a minister who was, who was known to stand for the word of God even when it wasn't popular to the people around him. When Minister A began to preach, he was very successful and he became very well known very, very quickly. And uh, many leaders, in fact, began to come to his congregation. And while that kind of popularity, sudden popularity, can go to a lot of people's heads, uh, Minister A remained very humble. And uh, where, especially these days when ministers taste success, they buy, you know, big houses and nice clothes, um, Minister A did very well to keep the things of the world away from himself. Minister B, however, started his ministry later in life. And in fact, he didn't really seem to start his ministry until his family insisted because they believe he had a call of God in his life. He was actually baptized in Minister A's church. And when he started his ministry and, and left Minister A's church, he took a few people from Minister A's congregation with him. After he left, Minister B was surrounded in some controversy and ended up coming back to the area where Minister A had been reaching people. And when he came to that region, Minister B began to take many of the people from Minister A's congregation. More and more to where Minister A's congregation was dwindling down to nothing. While Mr. A was known for preaching holiness and repentance and living a humble lifestyle, Minister B was known to attend wild parties from time to time. And more and more people began to leave Minister A's church to attend Minister B's church. Doesn't seem fair, does it? And I told you I knew one of these men personally. I'd, I'd like to tell you that it was Minister A, 
But in fact, the one I know and know quite well is Minister B. After a while, when Minister A moved into a new region, he actually upset some of the political leaders in that area. And uh, some of those leaders found a way to have him jailed. And to my knowledge, Minister B never went and visited Minister A in jail. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 3. And as I say that, I want to say, what do we think about this? Because here's the thing. Minister B became wildly successful in this. Is this fair for Minister A? In any way, shape, or form. He's devoted his life to the Lord. If you turn with me to John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 22, and let's see what the Word of God has to say about this situation. It says this, After this, Minister B and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. Minister A also was baptizing at Aenon near Salim because the water was plentiful there and the people were coming to be baptized. For Minister A had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of Minister A's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to Minister A and said to him, Rabbi, Minister B, who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, Minister B is baptizing, and all are going to him. Minister A answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear, witness, or bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This morning, I want to talk to you about this passage in John chapter 3, and I apologize for being somewhat deceptive with my opening. But I was describing John and Jesus. In fact, even the religious leaders of Jesus' day accused Jesus of being a partier, of not taking things serious enough. And Jesus actually said to them, well, wait a minute. John came, and, and he, he didn't do anything. He lived in the desert. He wore camel's hairs, ate locusts. He lived a fasted, humble lifestyle. And you said he was of the devil. 
And here I come doing this, and you say, oh, you guys can't be pleased. We have been going through the book of John the last few weeks, and I, I want to thank Eddie for his message last week. If you haven't heard it, you need to go back and listen to it. A message about desperation and about being hungry for the Lord. And I believe that the church in America, we need to get to a place where we're hungry for the Lord again. And can I tell you, when I look at this passage, I see that John the Baptist was a man who was hungry for the Lord and hungry for the things of God. You can go back and you can see some of those, those videos on, on YouTube at FOP Church, or you can pull up on a podcast. I encourage you to do it. We're studying this book right now, and we're learning about all the Gospels. But what's happening here in this passage is we've already met John the Baptist once. We met him uh, a couple chapters ago. And what happened was Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, John starts pointing people at Jesus. Even before Jesus shows up, John's saying, someone's coming. It's the Christ. And they're asking him, well, John, aren't you the Christ? He says, no, I'm not the Christ. I'm just this messenger. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. I'm just saying, everybody get ready because the Messiah is coming. And we talked about how when Jesus showed up, John makes this call. What's interesting to me is you rewind, and, and this is some of the things we've talked about. Rewind to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they sin, and they realize they're naked. They have that shame that we've talked about a couple times this morning because sin brings shame. And what does the Lord do to cover their shame? He takes a lamb, he kills it, and he covers Adam. One lamb for one man. Then we fast forward to Egypt where the children of Israel are slaves. And God sends judgment to Egypt and he says, if you, if you kill a lamb and, and paint the blood on the doorpost, your house will be passed over. And your family will be saved. It's, it's one lamb for one household. One lamb for one man, now one lamb for one household. And then they get out into the desert, and they get out, and, and God gives Moses the covenant. And he tells Moses about the sacrifices for the people, and the people agree to it. And they set up the tabernacle and the temple system. And until Jesus' day, this is the, the system that's set up that they will take one lamb, a Passover lamb, and they will shed his blood for the nation. It's, it's one lamb for one nation. One lamb for one man, one lamb for one household, one lamb for one nation. And here Jesus, he walks into the scene and John realizes the picture. John the Baptist gets it, and he looks at Jesus, and he cries out, Look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One Lamb for the world. 
And ladies and gentlemen, this is where we are this morning. It is the blood of Jesus that covers our sin. And this was John's entire purpose is to point people at Jesus. And see, we see a few things through this passage. As Jesus starts to baptize people, and and just a side note here, it says John had not yet been put in prison. And in the other Gospels, you, you see that John gets put in prison quite quickly in their accounts. But John wants to make the, the writer here, John, we have the John, the evangelist, who's writing this about John the Baptist, a different John. And he wants to make sure to, that you know that there's a, a period of time. This is one of the later Gospels that were written. So other people might have already read Mark's account. So he wants you to know that there was a period of time where Jesus and John were contemporaries, that John wasn't yet in prison. And they were both baptizing at the same time. And this discussion arises between John's disciples and some Jew over purification about the law. What is the law? We've talked about it, and and you can go back to some of our our previous weeks in this series to hear more about the law. But, But the law is this Old Testament covenant that basically says, if I keep all the rules, then God will bless me. And guess what we found out as a people? We can never keep all the rules. In fact, we, we find out in the New Testament that the whole purpose of the law was to make us aware of our sin. I was talking to someone the other day, and they were like, well, maybe we should start keeping this, this commandment and this commandment, these, all these Old Testament commandments. I was like, I don't know if I need any of that. I'm fully aware of my sin already. And so they start having this discussion about purification, which probably came up because they were baptizing people and purification, and there's all this, oh, how are we clean and unclean? And they decide to go talk to John about it. And, and I, I love it that sometimes religion gets so caught up in the rules of things. We just, if we'll just keep the rules, then God will like us. Then we'll be pure. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, what does Jesus call those who keep all the rules but yet are still dead inside? He called them whitewashed tombs. You look really great on the outside, a brand new paint job. But inside, you're a rotting dead corpse, stinking. We don't want anything to do with you. That's the rules. That's living religion by rules. This is what they were arguing over. How do we best keep the rules? And so they decide to go to John and ask him, but while they're there, they bring up this whole other thing. They say, if you look at verse 26, they say, Rabbi, which means teacher. And I love this, the way they, they say it. I don't love it. I hate it, but it tells you about their heart condition. It says, he, he who is with you across the Jordan, Notice they didn't say Jesus. They didn't say your cousin. They said, you remember that guy who was with you across the Jordan? That's jealousy talking right there. That's the heart of, can't even mention his name. You remember that, that guy? He is baptizing and everyone's going over to him. 
which is interesting because John repeatedly had already been saying, he's the one. More than once, we're, we're only in the third chapter of John. We already have it recorded twice where Jesus has gone or where John has gone. That's the one. That's the one. Hey, John, you know the one that you said was the one? That guy, everyone's going to him. And he doesn't do things the way we do it. Like he's baptizing too. In fact, we'll, we'll find out here that he's actually not the one doing the baptizing. If, if you look in verse or chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, says he leaves Judea and departs again to Galilee. So Jesus is not even the one doing the baptizing. We know John baptized. That guy, he doesn't do it like you, John. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to understand that one of the things that will kill a church quicker than anything is to be staunchly entrenched in tradition to the point where you will sacrifice it. You You will sacrifice Jesus and the Word of God to keep your tradition. Like, do you realize, John kept saying, that's him, that's Jesus. And they're like, no, but John, you. We want to hang on to you. We want to hang on to the way you're doing things and what you know. Ladies and gentlemen, as we were singing that last song about the love inside of you is so pure and so white, like, like in my heart, like there was this hope of heaven that rose up in my heart in that moment as we were singing that song. Like you ever have those glimpses into eternity where it just seems really real to you for just a moment and you just wish you could hang on to that feeling all the time? Like in that moment, I was like, if we can just make Jesus famous, nothing else matters. If we can just keep pointing people to him because can I tell you, for our house of prayer, we don't have life. But we have Jesus, and he is life, so we do have life. Does that make sense? There's nothing good in and of ourselves. And can I tell you, teenagers, listen to me. I have a couple things I want to say to you. First of all, it's this. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You are not an accident. He has something specifically that he wants you to accomplish with your life. And you should be on your knees every day asking God, what is it? What is it, God, that you want me to do with my life? And just from experience, he typically just tells you what to do about one day out. Right? But did you get on your knees and say, God, show me your way and show me your path. But can I tell you this, young people in this room today? If Jesus doesn't come back for some time, and we believe Jesus will return again, it's in his word. But if he delays, and it gets to be 50, 70 years from now, and you have to do things different than what we're doing it right now, it should never be an argument of, well, that's not the way our parents did it. We, we don't care the way you do it. We just care that the message of Jesus is preached. That's what we care about. Your music will sound different, unfortunately. 
just the same way. It sounds different to some of our older saints in here today. It sounds it sounds different, doesn't? Unfortunately, and somewhat fortunately, I'm sure you guys will have some great stuff, young people. But we will never sacrifice the gospel of Jesus Christ for our traditions, forerunner house of prayer. It's Jesus first and his word above everything. And we will bend beneath the weight of his word. And if we ever come today, we feel like we're doing something that's contrary to the word of God, we will change. And we will change quickly. But my ask, my, my ask of you guys today is what is going on in your life that you're unwilling to change? It's easy for me to stand up here as the pastor of this church and address us as a congregation and let you know that we are people of the word, but what about you as the individual? A person cannot receive even one thing, and it says, unless it is given him from heaven. We, we think we're pretty great. Look at all the stuff I've done. Look how talented I am. You, you know what really gets me is, like, some people are just really good looking. But you realize they were just born that way. Like, not like they, like, really worked on it or anything. Or some of you are like, no, I really worked on this. I, I don't know. I really work hard on looking average, just so everyone knows. Like, like you, that was given you by God, right? Like, like your talent that you have, anything you have that you think, uh, I worked hard for this. Even if you worked really hard for it, it was given to you by God. Even that work ethic to develop that skill or that talent or whatever it is that was placed in you by the God of the universe. Everything it says that is given to us is given to us from heaven. It all belongs to him. Ladies and gentlemen, this building, although we've spent years like, improving it and working on it and paying for it and all the, the time we've invested it in, into it. This building is given to us by God. It belongs to him. But even you in your life, your car, your career, your kids, all of your stuff, all of your friendships, they were given to you by God. And John, he realizes this, and he so realizes it, he reminds them, as I said before, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And then he gives this great illustration, which I think is so perfect for, for what's coming up next, this Saturday. He says, the friend of the bridegroom who stands near him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Like, let, let's, let's just, some of you don't know Stephanie that well yet. Y you'll get to know her over time. But a lot of you know me pretty well. Some of you know me too well. And can I tell you something? That this Saturday when, when my bride walks in that door, although you may not know her well yet, when you see the joy that I have at her walking in the room, it'll bring joy to your heart because you know me, because you're my friend. 
any person who stands in that room that day and looks at me in the joy of my face and is jealous of me? Maybe I need to fight you. I don't know. That's my woman. I don't know. I don't. Well, there's only one reason you'd be jealous of me that day and upset with me that day. Because you want what I have. But here, John is very clear. He says the friend of the bridegroom who stands by the groom, he he rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. What is John saying? He's saying, look, I am joyful because of Jesus. I'm joyful at the voice of Jesus. He is the great husband, not me. He's the one that wins the bride, not me. It's all about Jesus, and anytime Jesus speaks, I'm not jealous of what he's saying or doing, but I rejoice at his voice. And he says this line that pierces us to our hearts as he concludes that his joy is now complete. And he says this, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. My dad has preached this passage time and time again about how we as churches need to die. I think the greatest thing we could ever do is try to kill our church and kill who we are and who we think we need to be. There's, there's so much pressure, especially as a pastor, for this thing to become a performance to draw people in. The, the reality is I want this place to be full. And as you, if your goal becomes full, full seats, then you begin to do things to get full seats. And some things aren't even bad, but they are distractions from the thing that matters the most. They're distractions from the groom. And that's the pull on your heart. It's like, well, we, we need to be a little more efficient at the, as a church as this, 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 and this. And, and and maybe if we did this activity or did this thing or or did and and Jimmy can tell you we get asked to do things all the time we could be doing things all and uh, we should maybe do this to get our name out into the community. But what is our goal? What is our purpose? Is it to promote the name of Foreigner House of Prayer or is it to promote the name of Jesus? And so. When I, when I began as lead pastor here, for those who don't know, my, my dad was pastor at this church for years, years. And then I took over, and that's daunting, especially when you have such a powerhouse as a father as, as mine. He's an amazing man of God. And um, I got to spend time with him this morning because I'm living out at their house again this week because someone kicked me out of my house. And uh, as I was talking to him this morning, he was just reminded how like, like to just cherish these moments with my dad, right? And um, such an amazing man of God. And those first, that first year or two was so difficult because I was trying to make my dad proud. 
as a pastor of this church. And uh, I remember we were standing out at the campground one, one day. This is a few years back. And we were standing between the tabernacle and the girls' dorm out in that little grassy area. And the sun was setting, and, and he said, Drew, I see you struggling so much. And I said, it's hard, Dad. It's hard. He said, can I tell you something? You're trying so hard to do things like I would do it or to make me proud or to build that church. You need to stop trying to build that church, and you just need to set it on fire and let it burn. And whatever remains, offer it to God. And and so that's what I did. And if you look across this room this day, what's happened today isn't because of something I've done or some program that we've implemented or any kind of effort of us trying to be a great church, even though, can I tell you, I believe this is the greatest church ever. Like when we go through good times, we go through good times. And when we go through hard times, we lock arms and we go through them together. I love this church. But I can tell you, any goodness that we have is because of Jesus Christ. And we must continue. There, there's some churches in our community that just need to die. And can I tell you, there's some people sitting in this room, you need to die. Just like Paul said, is to pick up your cross and follow him. Like we die to ourselves. I'm not saying like die as in die. I'm talking about dying to us and our priorities and the things that we think are important. It's all about Jesus. Forerunner House of Prayer will only be as effective as we die to ourselves to promote the name of Jesus. And can I tell you, each one of you individually, you'll only be effective in the kingdom of God as as willing as you are to say, I must decrease so he can increase. My One of my favorite ministers, favorite ministers, I won't even tell you his name. He went to a conference to speak at it. He's a well-known, well-known minister. He's not Jesus or John. Minister C. And Minister C showed up at a conference to speak to 20,000 people because they decided not to announce who were going to be the speakers of the conference. They said, you want to come to our large conference? Come, but come because you want Jesus, not because a certain speaker's coming. I'll tell you, it was Francis Chan. Love that guy. Let's look at these last few verses here. Worship team, can you come? In verse 31, it says this. And just so you know, verses 31 through 36, for those who like to study these kinds of things, some people think this is John who's continuing to talk to his disciples, John the Baptist. And some people think that this is John the Evangelist just giving us a commentary. Which if you read it both ways, it, it reads slightly different in those contexts, but they still say the same information, and we're going to read it here. In verse 31, it says, He who comes from above is above all. 
And he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what has been seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. What that means to set your seal, it's like, like this is my stamp of approval. It'd be in our language today. What stamp of approval? That God is true. For whom, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that when God sends you, he will give you his Spirit without measure? You, you know what the hardest thing I, I want to say? for me as a pastor is, is the number of really great people that we've kicked out of this church. You guys, what are you talking about? We've, we've sent people to other churches, to other ministries. My, my dad was one of them. He was like, I, I think I need to go and help start this church in Castleville. I said, Dad, if you feel like you need to go, you need to go. And that was hard for me. Because I wanted my dad here because I love my dad. So we sent him out. Do you realize a good church is sending people out? Not just hanging on to them. I can't, we've sent out worship leaders. We've sent out pastors. We've sent out evangelists. And we would have loved to have them stay. They were great serving members of this church. They, they paid their tithes and they... They helped out around here, and they're great to have, good friends, but the Lord had called them elsewhere. For them to stay here and just pad our numbers and our finances would be dishonest. And it would be very much selfish, a foreigner house of prayer, but to send people out and say, no, you need to go. When Jesus sent out his disciples, says he he sent them and that word in the greek is ekbalo it means to eject it means get out of here it's the same word used that when jesus sent demons out of people he ekbaloed them he also ekbaloed his disciples to go and do ministry get out go do what god has called you to do and when you know when you do that he fills you with your holy spirit it says here without measure Father loves the Son and has given all things to His hand. And this is the kicker right here. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's what, that's what Jesus was just talking a couple weeks ago to, to Nicodemus about. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Like He's reiterating it here. Whoever, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But it says, Who does, whoever does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Do you realize that when we reject Christ, the wrath of God remains on us? We have a good God who judges us justly, and he judges sin. You hear us say, well, love the sin, love the, love the sinner, hate the sin. But the scripture tells us that God is angry with those who will not surrender to him. His wrath remains on them. 
But as we were seeing earlier, he, he's not willing that any should perish. He wants all to come to repentance. That's the reason Jesus came. That's the reason Jesus lived a sinless life. That's the reason that John was willing to point at Jesus and say, it's all about him. The Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world who died for us, taking our sin and taking our shame, hanging naked on that cross. And three days later, raises from the dead. Y'all, Jesus is alive. Okay? Try again. Y'all, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And guess what? He's coming again. Will you stand with me for just a moment? I look at John and I see a man who is all about Jesus. John was in a strange place in history. You see, there's different dispensations of history. And just before Jesus was the dis dispensation of the law, where all religion was about the rules. We gotta keep the rules, we gotta keep the rules. And the prophets would rise up and declare that just because you're keeping the rules doesn't mean your heart is close to God. And that was the dis dispensation of the law. And when Jesus died on the cross, it was this dispensation of grace and mercy that only comes through the blood of Jesus. And somewhere between this dispensation of the law and this dispensation of grace, we find John. I asked my dad this morning, I was like, I said, do you think John was the last Old Testament prophet? Because he prophesied before Jesus died on the cross. And then we had a really interesting discussion about that. John, John was before his time. John was misplaced in history. He was technically still supposed to be under the dispensation of the law. And yet, he demanded that people point to grace. He sent me this quote from Mark Canby. I want to read it to you this morning. It says, John actually... And this is the language he used. John actually raped the dispensation. He actually took from the dispensation before it had come of the age of liberty and the possibility that only grace could provide for a man. And he did it in the darkness of the law. He stood between the crushing vices of the dispensational order of the law, holding them back saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Bow your heads and close your eyes. My question is simple this morning. Do you need to decrease so Jesus can increase? Are there things you need to lay down? Are there things you need to die to? Are there things you need to surrender so that Jesus can have his way in his life? Can I tell you? What I've learned the last two years is so much of the fear and war and anxiety that you hang on to is because you will not let go and give Jesus control. 
You will not die to yourself, I promise. When you surrender those things to the Lord, He has grace and mercy and peace for your heart. He guards your heart and mind. Here in a moment, our worship team is going to begin to sing. And I'm going to ask you to join them in worship. And as they're singing, if you need prayer, if you need to respond to this message, I'm going to ask you to come. And if you need ministry over any other issue in your life, if you need healing, if you have other things going on that you would like someone to minister the word to you, we're going to have some wonderful elders and ministers in our congregation that are going to minister to you. I'm going to invite you that these altars are open. Let's worship the Lord.